0: Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, once again we draw near to you, having heard your word, knowing your spirit is at work in our midst because your word has been read. Pour that spirit into our hearts to renew us, to guide us, to enable us to know Jesus, to enable us to believe that he has risen from the dead, to know that his rising from the dead changes everything. And that we are changed as well. All of this we ask through that very same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Sorry to throw you off there. It's not our usual liturgical way of opening a sermon, but it's... It's Easter, so why not? Why not declare Christ's resurrection? as that's what today and the rest of the season is about. Not that we don't declare Christ's resurrection every single Sunday. And in fact, probably every single day in our lives as we pray. As we draw near. As we look to the Father. We look through the risen Son. By the power of the Spirit giving us faith. But on this day and these following weeks, we are especially rejoicing at the resurrection, because the resurrection is the penult- is the ultimate event for the church year. We start at Christmas, and we move toward the cross. And after we hit the cross, we reach it, and then we rest. And then we rejoice, and we celebrate, for that is the moment at Easter, at dawn, at sunrise, that Jesus is proclaimed, risen from the dead, that his tomb is discovered empty, but we're used to this aren't we in so many ways i've been celebrating easter as far back as i can remember and we get used to it we lose in some sense the joy of the actual event yes we get caught up in the joy of our celebrations into here and now we can't help but do that we get wrapped up in the flowering of the cross we get wrapped up in the decorating of the church of the new music that we get to sing the happier music that we get to sing after a long lint of reflection but the actual moment of the resurrection i think we lose out a little bit on we end up accidentally neglecting just the exact impact of it but that's how so many stories are in our day Think about the wider breadth of stories we hear about. We're used to hearing about the hero winning, the good guy winning and the bad guys losing. The bad guys being revealed to be the bad guys. But think about so many of our stories today. So often, the good guys aren't really that good anymore. They're actually kind of the bad guys. And the bad guys aren't really that bad, they're they're just misunderstood. And then sometimes we even have the bad guys winning at the end of the day or the bad guys are made out to be the true heroes while the good guys are really the villains at the end. We flip the story upside down because we got so used to hearing about the good guys winning that we now make it about the anti-hero and the bad guys somehow having the victory, gaining the upper hand at the end. And things being left unsettled. We forget about the absolute power of the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. And everyone wants to forget about that and turn away from it. But all we have to realize is that it is a miracle that breaks the very mold of what we are approaching today. We get used to the idea of Jesus simply getting up out of the tomb and rising, but there's so much happening in this one event that it will take eternity to fully grasp and understand. Angels even now are looking into what God has done in Jesus. I love that verse. Angels are looking into these things. Trying to understand the redemption and salvation. I like how C.S. Lewis pictured that in his sci-fi trilogy, the Ransom Trilogy, about a man who goes to another planet who ends up being a Christian and assuming that these aliens are going to assault him and abuse him, but it ends up being that they believe in God. And they ask him, what has the God done on your world? We've wanted to know for years. We have been unable to get information about it because you all are cut off from us. And this one that asked him that question is the angel that is ruling over that planet, an angelic being above all other angels that we can think about, ruling over a whole planet, wanting to know what exactly God has done on earth because he has no access To earth. He has only heard rumors from other angels. Angels look into these things because it is a a miracle that breaks the entirety of the mold of what we understand about this world. And so we just walk through this passage and hear the things that are happening. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Something that I hadn't noticed before, really, is because I'm so used to this story, is that here at the beginning of chapter 24, there is no reference to who they are. Now, if you've been reading the story straight, straight through, you might have some hint that it's talking about the women, but we, because we've heard it so often, we just automatically know it's the women. But if you just picked up chapter 24 and started reading, you're like, who, who is they? Who are these people who have gone to the tomb? Who are taking spices? We don't find out until later on. And I just, that just struck me as interesting at how Luke is writing this section of his letter that he has only briefly mentioned the women a few verses before. But here they go on the first day of the week. They go on Sunday morning. What's so miraculous about that is there in the Greek week is sabbaton, Sabbath. And it's interesting because that word means both the seventh day of rest, but it also has that meaning of the week. I think that's a happy accident in language, that the word that means the seventh day or the day of rest is also the word that means week when it's in the plural. And so we have on the first day of the Sabbaths, you might say, at early dawn. The Sabbath has been accomplished. And here, the first day following the Sabbaths, they went. And they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. On the first day of the week that follows the seventh day, which makes it the eighth day. In the early church, the number eight became extraordinarily important because of that. You had the first day of creation when God created the heavens and the earth and he made light and said it was good. And then he proceeds through two, three, four, five, and six and then rests on the seventh day. And thus is creation week in Genesis 1. But then the fall happens after that creation, week after that day of rest. And so we all look forward to something happening, changing everything. Somehow things being fixed and renewed. For God had promised that the devil would be overcome, the serpent would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And here on the first day of the week, it becomes the eighth day of new creation. For old creation is finished now. Jesus died for the sins of the world he died for the sins of the old creation he died for the brokenness and the warpedness and the marredness, the bentness of all creation was dealt with on the cross and it was put away and so the eighth day begins with celebration with a bursting forth of the sun from the tomb but we don't get to see that happen we only hear hints of it but it is a miracle that breaks the mold And the women can't believe it. Those who went to the tomb were assuming they were going to find a dead Jesus. They were assuming that they would find a dead man lying in the tomb. This past week had been torturous for them and the disciples and all the followers of Jesus, seeing him come into Jerusalem that week before to the shouts of Hosanna. To the shouts of recognition, to the shouts that he is the son of David. And then everything to spiral out of seeming control for them. And him to be put to death upon a cross and entombed. And so the women went faithlessly. They went broken at seeing the man they thought was the Messiah put to death. But they get to the tomb and his body is gone. And it says that they were perplexed. Of course they're perplexed. No one expects the resurrection. No one could possibly expect the resurrection. No one could possibly expect one man rising from the dead. That is how utterly astounding this moment is for everyone there that had been following Jesus. Everyone knew the resurrection would happen. Well, most everyone knew the resurrection would happen. There were some Jews who refused to believe in any kind of resurrection. But the vast majority of the Jewish people believed in resurrection. They believed that the body would be raised. One day at the end, when the final judgment came, when God made all things new, when he lifted Israel up out of its exile and made everything new, the resurrection would happen. Martha said that in John 11, when Jesus said, Don't you know that Lazarus will rise? And she's like, Well, I know he will on the last day. And then Jesus interrupted her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one in whom all things exist. I am the one that can overturn death itself because I am the true resurrection. I am the true life. And he raised a man from the dead. But that man was not imbued with the glorious life of the Father. He was not remade in a glorified way and that rising from the dead. His was only a temporary resurrection, but it showed the power of Jesus over death in a very vivid way. And so, the women go to the tomb and they find Jesus not there and they just can't fathom what is happening. It says that they are perplexed. They are confused. They are astounded at what they discover. They don't know what to do. But behold, two men suddenly showed up. Two men show up and are like, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? These two men are described in a very angelic way because everyone agrees that they are angels. They are the messengers of God to announce the resurrection, to make clear that these people understood what was happening in this moment, that Jesus' body hadn't been stolen, yet hadn't just vanished and disappeared, but that he had truly been raised from the dead. What I really love about this is that I've discovered is here that they appeared in dazzling apparel. My brain jumps back to the transfiguration when Jesus became dazzling before the people. His clothing and his face took on a glorious appearance that couldn't be looked directly upon in some ways. It was dazzling, and that's exactly how Luke is describing these angels, they were dazzling, they were shining, it was like lightning flashing from the sky right in front of your face. It was a blinding light, and so the women fell down because it was frightening. But there's also another little hint, I think, of the transfiguration where it says, Behold, two men stood by. Probably a pretty common phrase, but still in Luke, that's exactly how we describe Moses and Elijah showing up in a glorious way with Jesus that there's something mysterious something unfathomable happening just like the transfiguration was unfathomable here the resurrection is unfathomable with two strange beings that are dazzling white that are blindingly light that are light blinding the people showing up and appearing and they say the living is not here why are you seeking the living among the dead he is not here but has risen he has come back to life. The living God cannot exist among the dead. Have you not realized who Jesus truly is? As the Lord lives, the living God is not one to bow down to death. He is the one that conquers it by being who he is. And that is what is happening here. These angels are, in one sense, amazed. Like, why are you all here? Why would you seek the living God among the dead? He is risen and then they remind them remember remember what he said Remember while he was still in Galilee with you that if the son and that the son of man had to be delivered Into the hands of sinful men and be crucified recall all the things that he said to you Bring it forward into the present moment and remember his words And they remember his words And they recalled them. They brought them forth out of the past, out of the depths of their memory, for they had forgotten them because of all the events happening and also because the words that he spoke were opaque. We look back and we hear them clearly. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. He's going to die and he's going to be resurrected. We understand that because we are after the fact. Imagine hearing about something so impossible, so crazy like that and having no context for its existence. It's like going to an alien planet and seeing all these alien figures, all these alien plants and your brain trying to process it, trying to understand what you're looking at. That's how the people were when Jesus would talk about his death and his resurrection. They're like, oh, okay, you'll die, you'll rise. I, I don't know what that means. I don't understand what that could possibly mean. And so they just kind of set it aside. They can't grasp the enormity of this event. The angels tell them, remember what he said, recall it. It's not just simply a simple recall of memory. Just being like, oh yeah, I remember I was supposed to buy bread at the store yesterday. Okay, I got to do that today. But there's more to it than that. It's not the same word as used in the Lord's Supper, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, but it overlaps with it. It's a different word for memory, for remembering, but it overlaps with that unique word in the Lord's Supper story. It's the word that's used by the thief on the cross when he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He wasn't saying, hey, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, recall my name. Recall my memory when you get there. No, he is saying, remember me in such a way that I am brought into that very kingdom that you are in. Remember me and drag me into your kingdom. Bring me forth out of death into your kingdom because you remember me. That is what the angel is telling the women to do, remember what he said. Remember his words and bring it forth. And in remembering those words, the Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is active through the words of Jesus in their very memories. Those memories cause a change because they are memories of Jesus' very words. And those very words create new life in that moment planted deep down within as they recall the words of Jesus and bring them forward in time to that moment, to that present moment of looking at that empty tomb, of hearing the angel say, He is not here, but He is risen. Suddenly it all clicks into place for the women. They get it. They recognize Jesus is alive because He said He would be, because He is God Himself. He is alive and has overcome death. And so they run back They go back to the other disciples. They go and tell them what they have seen. And now Luke reveals it's Mary Magdalene, it's Joanna, it's Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them. It's not just three. It's a whole group of women showing up and telling the disciples one after another about what they have just encountered, what they have witnessed. But it's too good to be true. The disciples just write it off. The men just write it off. They're like, "You're, you're grieving, you're Hallucinating your imagining things and they just couldn't believe them. But Peter, the man who had denied Jesus, he runs to the tomb. He stoops down and he looks in. And what does he see? He sees those linen grave cloths lying in the spot where Jesus had been laid. They're just lying there. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it is marvelous. The man that the people rejected and that they killed has become the resurrected one and it is marvelous. Peter doesn't quite understand what's going on and some commentators actually say it was right after this that Peter encounters Jesus. He encounters the resurrected Lord shortly after this by himself. A little bit later in Luke 24, as the disciples from Emmaus go running, charging back to Jerusalem, and they come crashing into the upper room where everyone is gathered. Everyone is saying, the Lord is risen, and he has appeared to Simon Peter. Suddenly, everyone is trying to grasp and understand. They know that something miraculous has happened, that something unique, that something new has occurred in this moment. And so at some point between that moment when Peter ran to the tomb and that evening, Jesus showed up to Peter and revealed himself, revealed his resurrected state to him. But even Peter is still confused. He's still not quite sure until Jesus shows up for all of them that evening. And we'll hear more about this next week, but he does show up and the people believed, disbelieved for joy. They're so joyful at seeing their Lord and Savior standing right there in front of them, so joyful at seeing Jesus himself back from the dead, physically there in front of them, and not a ghost, not a spirit, but flesh and bone. They're so joyful that they still couldn't believe that it was really him, and they marveled. And that is the glory of the resurrection, that it is a marvelous event that should cause us almost to have disbelief for wanting to believe so badly. It's what J.R.R. Tolkien would refer to later as the U catastrophe. A wonderful little Greek construction there, U meaning good, and catastrophe meaning disaster, meaning terrible events happening. So it's the good, terrible event. The terrible event being the death. But the good being that sudden springing forth of new life, the catastrophe happening. The resurrection is that for the disciples. It's too good to be true, too good of something to come out of such terrible events. But it is the good and terrible thing. Good brought out of evil. Greatness out of catastrophe. Plain and simple, that is what it is. The change of all things. One man dying upon a cross, but yet... Being raised back to new life, demonstrating that he is who he said he is. That he is the son of God, the true and living God raised from the dead. Because death cannot hold the living God. Death cannot keep the living God down. And thus, death is overcome. That just as at that cross, sin was overcome. That sin was undone through the death of Jesus. As sin is laid upon him. And he stands in our place and takes our place. Sin is put to death by the death of Jesus, but because it is put to death, it is undone. And Jesus rested. And then he is raised back to life, to new life, to resurrection life. His physical body is filled with a glorified new kind of life that we get a foretaste of in the here and now through faith. Through God being active in us, our hearts are renewed. And we begin to taste a little bit of that new life that Jesus is living in right now, that he has by right of dying for the sins of the world, by being God himself, taking on human flesh and dying and rising again. The miracle that breaks all other miracles. Because Jesus is living the new life, that he is the new creation, that it is the eighth day. The new reaches back into the old. Jesus is new creation living in the midst of a broken down world of a world winding down slowly because of sin. He is the new that reaches back into the old, and he lays hold of us old sinners and renews us and gives us new life and calls us to faith, planting his word in us through, ba- through baptism, through receiving the Lord's Supper, through growing in maturity and hearing the word over and over, recalling the great acts of God, remembering the acts of God in such a way that they become present in the very moment that we're thinking about them. The new reaches into our old selves and changes us. Jesus is the new creation who makes us new. He is the new creation who undoes all the terrible evil in this world. He is the new creation that will make all things right in the end. And because all things will be made right in the end, not all things will be made right in our immediate present. But we look through those moments where things are not going the way they should. And when we don't see healing, when we don't see change. Knowing though, that all will turn out right. Because it is a catastrophic event. A good, terrible thing occurring. Good out of evil. That all the bad will get turned into good. Because Jesus will convert it, He will reveal to us how those good how those bad things bring about a greater good in some mysterious way, just as the greatest act of evil, Jesus dying on the cross, the Son of God, the perfect man being put to death, becomes the greatest central event in all of history. That somehow, some way, good wins. Because good comes from God. Greatness comes out of the catastrophe that is all around us. Because God is the one who raises the dead. Because God is the one who came back from the dead. Because Jesus is God, God has died for us and been raised back to life in the person of Jesus mysteriously, amazingly, so that we can celebrate with joy, so that we can celebrate and know that that new life is ours in Christ. And so on this day, we take hold of the cross and of the resurrection. Cling to it knowing that it is the most strange event in the history of the world. But though it is strange, it changes everything. It becomes the new creation moment when all things in the old are undone. And the beginning of all new things has started. And it starts with Jesus. And then it goes out to his disciples and apostles. And it goes out to the whole world and comes to us. And will spring forth out of us. Jesus is the new that reaches and lays hold of us sinners. And then he uses us as renewed creatures to reach out and lay hold of other sinners. That we might live the life he has called us to. Because he has raised us to new life. And so lay hold of the new life of Jesus that you might know the new life that he has given you. Lay hold of it and rejoice that it is yours in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.